The Last Word with Matt Cooper. We're the Culture Club today and delighted to have with us Gavin Friday. Now, Gavin is multi-talented and he has just brought out a book with Bono, proceeds from the sale of which go to the Irish Hospice Foundation. And I'm going to ask him a bit about U2 in Las Vegas in a few moments as well before we get to his choices for the Culture Club. But tell us about this beautiful little book, Peter and the Wolf, your retelling of the story. What's it all about? It's uh, Peter and the Wolf. 20 years ago, I brought out a CD recording of Prokofiev's music and a book for, once again, in aid of the Irish Hospice. And we always said 20 years ago we would love to make an animated movie of it. And 15 years ago we got the rights of the recordings back and we went about looking into making an animated film uh, out of which we had uh, got a deal with HBO and Max, the streaming service in America. And the first thing was we had to retell the story with in mind of 2023 and the woke world we all live in. Uh, the first thing Max said was, well, Gavin, you told the story 20 years ago, but you cannot send a wolf to the zoo or kill it. And I said, absolutely. So we had to sort of reimagine the, the tale again. And with the hospice, who who we wanted to be the the the, the main benefits benefits of, of of the whole project, we we actually were able to integrate um, the idea of loss and grief in children. Like you know, you, we started looking at the story. I started going, well, "Why was a thirteen-year-old boy living with his grandfather?" It's never explained. And I says, "Well, maybe his mum died. Maybe he's dealing with grief. Hence his." And it sort of fell into place, the story. So the book is the first release from uh, three releases. Next week is an album. And come Christmas in Europe will be the 30-minute animated version, all based on my narrative and Bono's drawings. We have a clip. Uh, This is There's Nothing to Be Afraid Of, which you've written, taken from the movie and from Peter and the Wolf, which are out now. That's you, Gavin. 
It is, yeah. Sounding a very good voice. Uh, well, I have a high and a low range, so you heard a bit of both. I mean, that's the theme song at the end of the movie, and it really is the message you're really trying to get out to, especially young, young, young kids or young teenagers going through any sort of trouble or grief, is that own your fear, make fear your friend, there's nothing to be afraid of. And really, Peter and the wolf... The wolf is this big bad world. It could be anything. It doesn't have to be death or, or loss. And usually when you scratch the surface of anything you're afraid of, it's really yourself you're afraid of. So just own it. The book as well, tell us about the drawings by Bono. He loves his drawings, as we saw from his own autobiography last year. Yeah. He loves scribbling and he's damn good at it. Yeah, I mean, as a, the, the, the drawings uh, uh, that inspired the, the animated film were the ones we actually used 20 years ago. Uh, and it was a tricky thing because they're quite expressive and, and almost sort of punky. Uh, we had to keep that essence and we, we, we decided to go old school with the animation and not make it all digital. So it's 2D and all the, all the sets are handmade and it's black and white. So it has a little bit of punk gothic in it. The book is a beautiful production for the Irish Hospice Foundation. Looking forward to seeing the movie and hearing the album in full as well. But tell us as well, you've been spending a lot of time in Las Vegas recently working on the new U2 show. How challenging has that been? It was pretty challenging. I've worked on and off with U2, God, for the last 40 years uh, and put up some, you know, mind-blowing shows in my mind to me the biggest the technology of, of of the screen is quite awesome including the exosphere which is the outside of of, of the of the sphere uh which can be seen for two two miles away uh we created the largest baby's head ai baby head an octung baby in a helmet that speaks to you as you enter uh but the sound I found the most challenging because, I mean, we listen in stereo. We've two ears. I'm not a lover of surround sound in cinema. Personally, like, I don't want to hear the kettle boiling behind my head. I like, you know, but this, this really was something else. It, it's, it's, it's not even like surround sound. It's like it's constantly being mixed in stereo, but coming at you like, a, and full force on every level. And no matter what seat you sit in, and there's 18,000 seats, there's no bad sound. And it's particularly sensitive to acoustic and intimate sounds. So if you whisper, it's just like ginormous. So Let's get to your Culture Club choices, which hark back many of them to the past. And maybe even growing up, I think it's fair to say. We always start with the first single that yeah. you remember purchasing and you've got a fantastic choice which I think makes loads of sense T-Rex, tell us about T-Rex for those listeners who may not be familiar with why he was so influential Well T-Rex I I bought this single, I mean I found out about T-Rex via Top of the Pops on the radio and T-Rex in 1970-71 was I think the biggest pop star in Britain since the Beatles and he basically, everyone thinks Bowie invented glam rock, but it was really Mark Boland. And it was almost like, if you can imagine, bubblegum, surreal, Eddie Cochran pop, but done in this androgynous sort of 
mystical way with strings and uh, the producer Tony Visconti worked with him but it was just quite sort of otherworldly and magical and, 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 and the great thing about it is if you listen back to the song like it's, it's what like over 50 years old it still feels timeless to me Get it on Brilliant entry point in Gavin Friday's Culture Club, Get It On from T-Rex. Now, we posed the usual impossible question, which lots of people cavil at. How do you nominate a favourite album or favourite artist or a best gig? And you'd have so many choices to make. But you have gone for things. And I was a little bit surprised to see that you've gone for a classic jazz album, I suppose, as your favourite album. Yeah, one of my favourite albums. But the truth is, I find as, as, as I got older that you want when you you go to put on an album and you're saying, right, I'm going to have a read of a book or make a pot of coffee or whatever, and you put on an album, I'm finding I don't want the din of listening to lyrics. And uh, I've been swaying more and more towards classical or jazz. And then, you know, Miles Davis, uh, A Kind of Blue, it's just eternally, eternally cool, eternally beautiful. And the thing about jazz is every time you listen to it and improvisational stuff, you, you, you're, it's un, un, unwelding and un, unwinding other, other things you haven't heard before. And it's just an absolutely gorgeous album. And I think, I think it was released the year I was born, which is quite a strange thing, uh, that suddenly this timeless piece of music. And to me, it's like, you'd have to be in the humour to listen to a Bowie album or you have to be in the humour to listen to a Kate Bush or The Clash. But Miles Davis, it just sort of hypnotises you the minute you hear the start of it and you just get into it. The track we have to play a little bit of is Freddie Freeloader. Okay. Freddie Freeloader as part of Gavin Friday's choices. So, 
David Bowie, you've already mentioned. Yeah. And he is one of your heroes, is he? I think he, he, he is probably my greatest musical hero. I mean, there's so many. But he sort of changed my life, is the truth. I mean, I got into T-Rex and very soon um, he was replaced with Bowie. Uh, and the real reason I would cite Bowie is it wasn't just the music. It was he was a diviner in, in, in the fact that he, he opened up so many doors for me. I started reading books because, I mean, books you didn't even understand at the age of 13, 12 or 13. Like I remember going into Easton's and buying Jean Janet and William Burroughs and all this stuff because Bowie had mentioned them. And you'd pick them up and, and, and like most kids, you'd be holding the book pretending to be cool rather than reading it. But later you did read it and, and you understood it. But he was that, he, he, he was that that he, he constantly reinvented himself and pushed out the borders and barriers and, 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 and just was almost like a university in himself. You've also nominated him as the best gig you were at. Yeah, because the first real gig I saw, and this was quite a, an extraordinary thing for a 16-year-old boy to do, but I went over on my own at the age of 16 to see Bowie in in, in London, in, in Wembley Arena uh, in 1976. I told me, Ma, I was going over to stay with my friend Tommy for sleepover where I actually got the boat and train and <laughs> slept in Victoria Station. When you could, uh, it was a pretty scary thing, but being in London and, and being that young, but it was that drive and passion because it was an obsession when I was a teenager. And wow, what I saw at that gig, uh, it was the Station to Station tour. And I think the opening of the show was Kraftwerk, with uh, a Salvador Dali Bunuel movie of an eye being split in half. And like, I was just getting sort of surrealist and dadist and electronic imagery. And I hadn't even seen a gig before in my life. So it, it really just, you know, changed everything. And, and, and the theatricality of the man and the lighting, uh, it just suddenly said, this is what you've got to do. We've been able to locate a clip, not from the Wembley performance in that year's Station to Station tour, but this is him performing that song in New York that year. Okay. Wonderful, 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 
So the last set the benchmark for you for all gigs in the future that you want to see and also advising you to on how to actually stage and do a show. It, it sort of set that benchmark in my head. I said like, I mean, the stage then, I think it was a whole backdrop of um, fluorescent lights, like something like 150 of them and he just wore black and white and was going through that tin white juke uh, phenomena. I mean, it was very soon after that. The the other thing that really was poignant about that gig, I remember going over there and I had long hair and, and, and earrings and baggy trousers and suddenly like feeling really uncool, thinking I was cool because the English had so much more style or more money than us then. But I remember turning around and seeing across the road a load of strange people that were wearing tight trousers with spiked hair and and, and, and and safety pins. And I went, what on earth is that? And it was the first time I ever experienced punk rock visually. And I went home and started like reading about what punk is. And, and that was the real big change because punk rock gave me the keys to the car. Like I, I thought you had to go to a university to be a Bowie. But punk rock said, DIY, do it yourself. We need to take a break. We'll be back with more of the Culture Club with Gavin Friday after this. Welcome back. Gavin Friday is with us for the Culture Club. Uh, he has just published Peter and the Wolf. Uh, the book uh, proceeds go to the Irish Hospice Foundation and there's also uh, music coming and also a new movie, an animated movie. But let's get to your non-musical choices for the Culture mm-hmm. Club, Gavin. And we asked, uh, favourite actor? You've gone for Marlon Brando. Tell us why. Well, I mean, there's so many. You start pondering, like, do you go with, you know, Daniel Day? Do you go with even our great Killian Murphy? I mean, it's quite profound what Ireland's doing lately, the amount of great actors and actresses. But I, I sort of looked at somebody like Marlon Brando and you see him in a streetcar named Desire when he was a young fella. And then you look at Apocalypse Now and The Godfather and the A to Z of the calibre of what he did was it's just phenomenal I mean The Godfather it's possibly one of the great movies of all time uh, as is Apocalypse Now as is uh, A Streetcar Named Desire and there was this sort of extraordinarily beautiful man that then turned into this almost monster in Apocalypse and just the depth of that I just find awe-inspiring and Bet Davis. Well, actually, before we get to Bet Davis, we're going to play a bit of Brando okay. as Vito Carlone in The Godfather. Buonasera. Buonasera. What have I ever done to make you treat me so disrespectfully? If you had come to me in friendship, then the scum that wounded your daughter would be suffering this very day. And if by chance an honest man like yourself should make enemies, then he would become my enemies. And then they will fear you. Be my friend. Godfather. Good. Someday, and that day may never come, I'll call upon you to do a service for me. But uh, until that day, 
accept this justice as a gift on my daughter's wedding day. Grazie. Grazie. And you like your horror movies, or because you have Hitchcock as your favorite director and Stanley Kubrick. Yeah, I love horror movies. Uh, Hitchcock, to me, there's something even just about the look of the movies, the detail, the color. It always looked like, as a kid, being obsessed with them, and like seeing one of the most scariest movies as a kid was The Birds. That's the one I was just thinking of as yeah. you said all that. And and I, I was like the colors every. People who had black hair looked like they had blue-black hair. So it was this almost like hand-painted Technicolor. Remember the first time I went to Los Angeles, uh, I saw an American crow, (laughs) the bird, and I went, look at the size of it. It was like the size of a dog. And I went, that's why Hitchcock, because he was from London, so his crows would have been like Irish crows, (laughs) you know, normal crows. I went, that's because they really freak you out when you see American crows. And he he went there, but look at Rear Window. Sorry, actually, we we actually also have a bit of Psycho we want to play, all right? Yeah. yeah. So let's play that. In this clip, Norman Bates played by Anthony Perkins talks to his guest, Marion Janet Lee, about sending his mother to an asylum. Have you ever seen the inside of one of those places? The laughing and the tears. The cruel eyes studying you. My mother there... But she's harmless. She's as harmless as one of those stuffed birds. I am sorry. I I only felt... It seems she's hurting you. I meant well. People always mean well. They cluck their thick tongues and shake their heads and suggest oh so very delicately. I've suggested it myself but I hate to even think about it she needs me it's not as if she were a a maniac a raving thing she just goes a little mad sometimes we all go a little mad sometimes Oh, Bernard Herrmann does the music. It's one of my favourite sort of score guys. But he, he, he dealt with outsiders and, but I mean, Marnie, uh, Rear Window, uh, Rope, which is like about a murder, but it's one shot. Uh, they're just phenomenally made. The attention to detail and and this is a man who never got an Oscar in his life. What about Stanley Kubrick? Stanley Kubrick, uh, recently I just saw 2001, 
on 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 an airplane, believe it or not, because everything else was so crap. I went back <laughs> to an old film, and I, I just away from the the, the outdatedness of certain of some of it is so in date and about AI and just the fascination uh, of like wow he was he was right. He was right. He predicted that this would, would start taking over our lives and actually telling us what to do. We're running out of time, so I'm going to skip to books. And what do you read? What do you like reading? What would be your favourite? Well, weirdly enough, as the older I get, the, the more I tend to like poetry because I like reading in bed. And the great thing about a poem is you can mull over it, the six or eight lines or 12 lines. Uh, and sometimes... You know, when you get so busy, you haven't got the time to read the whole book, unless you're on a flight or on your holidays. So poetry is my go-to. I recently got the Heaney 100 poems, but I tend to sort of go back to the old books that I first read that really opened. I wasn't a reader as a kid. It was around 12 or 13 I started reading. And once again, it was almost like David Bowie. It was Oscar Wilde. the picture of Dorian Gray, which once again was this sort of young man selling his soul to the devil so he could become other things. But the poignancy of the writing and the humour, I mean, it's just timeless. You already mentioned Top of the Pops, and presumably that was the go-to TV show for you as a child, was it? It was religion. It was church. It was everything. It it was the most important thing in my life. Music, I, I didn't get off on football or I didn't want to be in the Christian Brothers school. I just want, I didn't want to be in Ireland. I wanted to live on Mars with Bowie. But uh, Top of the Pops was my lifeline as a kid uh, until sort of I grew up at 18, 19 and ran away to Europe with the Virgin Prunes. Uh, and Top of the Pops, it's sorely missed. Contemporary TV, when lockdown happened, I've heard so many people bang on about Game of Thrones we had that situation a few years ago and suddenly, oh, what do we do? There's, there's no work. We sit at home. And I ventured into Game of Thrones and I got obsessed. Uh, every day I watched an episode. So we saw the whole couple of seasons in the first whack of lockdown. The writing around the fifth and sixth season, it was just phenomenal TV. We need to finish, and we're going to finish with your buried treasure. And you've decided to go for a song, and you gave us nothing by you two or Bono the whole way through your culture club. Did they sort of were disqualified on the basis that they're far too close friends to be nominated for anything? Well, you don't, you don't really want to listen to your friend when you're hanging out. <laughs> <laughs> you know, you, you, when, you, when you're having your own time, you don't listen to your friends. Fair right? enough. Your buried treasure. You've gone for Peggy Lee. Mm-hmm. No, this is real old school stuff. Tell us why you've picked Peggy Lee. Well, it's from an album which I, I really rate. It's called Mirrors. And it's an album uh, I'm very into sort of chanson and Brecht and Kurt Weill and the music of that sort of 30s. And she she uh, made this album with Lieber and uh, Lieber and Stoller uh, called Mirrors, where they all the songs were sort of had this burlesque cabaret 1930s feel. And they composed a song called Is That All There Is? And for me, lyrically, uh, it's just tongue-in-cheek 
one of the great songs of all time. And that's where we're going to finish the Culture Club with Gavin Friday. Thank you so much for being with us. Thank you for being with us as well. Let's play out with Is That All There Is? I remember when I was a little girl, our house caught on fire. I'll never forget the look on my father's face as he gathered me up in his arms and raced to the burning building out of the pavement. And I stood there, shivering in my pajamas and watched the whole world go up in flames. And when it was all over, I said to myself, is that all there is to a fire? Is that all there is? Is that all there is? If that's all there is, my friends, then let's keep dancing. Let's break out the booze and have a ball. If that's all. The last word with Matt Cooper. Weekdays from 4.30. Today and-